Welcome to Founder Journeys. This podcast is showcasing quick and high-impact conversations about the world of entrepreneurship. In each episode, we speak with founders and investors on specific subjects to inspire current and future entrepreneurs. Join our host, Catherine Lockhart, CEO of Propel, as we build a thriving and sustainable tech community together. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Catherine Lockhart. I'm the host of uh, Founder Journey. I'm the CEO of Propel, and I am thrilled to be here today with Annette Fershuren. I'm going to give you a brief intro of the fabulous uh, career journey that Annette has had, um, starting in North Sydney, Cape Breton, and then dive into our fun conversation with her. Uh, Annette is from a small town dairy farm and is now a global change maker. Annette has built a career in taking risks, being unapologetically brazen and prioritizing purpose with profits. Co-founder of the craft chain, Michael's Canada, former CEO of Home Depot Canada and Asia, co-founder of trailblazing clean tech firm and our store, best-selling author, and now podcaster, and today podcast guest, Annette has a clear mission to inspire budding leaders to look within, harness their strengths, and bet on themselves. And I encourage our audience to actually go to Annette's website, annetteforsuren.ca, to see a comprehensive list of her career journey. You'll find she was born in North Sydney, Cape Breton. She attended St. FX, and then her corporate career took a long, fantastic journey, weaving through Amasco, Home Depot, into Asia on many boards, supporting the government. So it's really worth a deep dive read to understand the wonderful hurdles that Annette has tackled with gumption and positivity, a truly inspiring career. So we're so glad, Annette, that you've been able to join us today and share some of your stories and perspectives with our founders, really mostly based here in Atlantic Canada. So welcome, Annette. No, absolutely delighted. And what a nice intro. Thank you, Catherine. Let's get to the questions because I know our audience is keen to hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about Enerstore and what excites you most about the work you do there? I know it's around energy storage, grid innovation, but what is most exciting for you at the moment? So I wanted to do something different after I left Home Depot and a lot of other people wanted me to go back into the retail sector. Went around the world with my husband, 17 bucket list countries. And I saw three things in each of those countries that were challenges. It was food, production, it was energy, electricity, and it was water. And so I decided I am going to look, I think there was gonna be a lot of activity in those three sectors. And I thought, I'm gonna look into looking in that one area. So energy storage, we're pretty good at storing food, pretty good at storing water, not so good at storing energy. So I, I found it fascinating. Didn't know much about electricity, but I had worked with utilities across the country and I was running Home Depot. And so got a good sense of, you know, how grids operated and the generation of, of energy and how that worked through distribution to the system. So I knew nothing about energy storage in 2012, started my little company, founded it, called Inner Store Inc. And we started... We're very driven by profit and purpose, and we started working on technologies, flywheel technologies. We introduced the first and only flywheel facility on a grid in Canada. It was small, but proved to prove it. It was for short-term storage. 
And then we did a compressed air project to be with Hydrostork and a big company now that's developing big opportunities throughout the world. But we did a four megawatt project in a salt cavern in Godrich, a salt capital of the world, and in Ontario, and uh, built that and contracted it also with the independent electrical operator. And so we were learning. And then at the same time, we worked with Tesla to uh, introduce the residential power walls across the country. And so it was doing a lot of smaller projects, right? And really wanted to do a bigger project. And so about six years ago, we said, look, it's time that we really built a large energy storage facility somewhere in Canada. We wanted to do something home first. We probably could have done it faster in California, New England, New York, a few other places around uh, in the United States, but we wanted to do something in Canada. And so we joined up with Six Nations of the Grand River, just a wonderful partnership that we've developed over six years. And together, shoulder to shoulder, we built this project. We designed it, built it, got it financed, and are now operating it. And this, and they are co-owners with us, right? And we are the developers, the original developers. We have Acon and, and Northland Power, two great companies that are equity investor. Northland is the major equity investor. And so we just closed that deal about two months ago. Construction started. We were out there just last month, just seeing what was going on and uh, really, really exciting. So big project, $700 million will take electricity that when the wind's blowing, we'll take that electricity when it's not having to go on the grid, there's no capacity, hold it in that battery and put it on the grid when peaking happens, peaking peak electricity needs are needed. And so it's the biggest project in Canada, one of the biggest in the world, quite frankly, and we'll have it up and running by 2025. So, and we're expanding our power wall business too, because What's happening, we're, we're getting all these storms, right? And we're getting mm. all these crises. And so the resiliency is really important for utilities. And so these become little microgrids. We aggregate these power walls at the ends of lines. These are tough places for utilities to get their trucks out and restart the homes. And so we've saved, we've done a deal with Harder One, we've done a deal with Nova Scotia Power, we've done a deal with New Brunswick Power, uh, and Chediac, all to help the resiliency. And so these homes, then the basic requirements continue, but your fridge, you decide what you want to continue and the electricity will continue for four days. So it's a really great resilient product for customers and for utilities. And so we see a big business in that area as well. But we really stuck to our knitting. We really believe energy storage uh, and we're very focused on energy storage. And there'll be different battery technologies. There'll be different types of storage technologies. We, we looked at pumped and evaluated pump storage technologies as well. So it's just a place where there is enormous growth, there is enormous need, and the interruptions of power really create an enormous and exciting marketplace for energy storage. That's phenomenal. So what I'm hearing, Annette, I'm just going to read between the lines a little bit here. And sometimes I'll put on my hat from a founder perspective, because that's who Propel serves. What I'm hearing is that trip you took with your husband, you took that trip with eyes wide open and got inspired by a real life problem that really needed to be solved head on. And I love what you said around focus. There will be other technologies that sort of stem from your leadership, from the technical expertise you have within your teams. 
but your focus is solving a global problem that has been talked about for decades, frankly. So I love the leadership here, the stepping into bold territories. I'm also hearing, which is probably one of my favorite traits about you, Annette, there's no fear. There's no fear in tackling, in tackling a massive challenge. And that's, I think, important for our founders to hear. Just, okay, it's important. We're going to do it. Kevin, do I have mo- moments of fear? Absolutely. And, and, and if you don't, you're not, you're not achieving what you can. You're not, uh, mm-hmm. you're not realizing the capacity that you have, right? And I've been nervous all my life. Everything's <laughs> more we're done uh, in, a, in a positive way. I, I take that as positive energy and I, I just don't give up. And the other big thing that's a really big achievement for me and my team is the relationship the real equity partnership with the yeah. indigenous people, right? And uh, so Matt Jamison, who heads up the development organization and Chief Hill, both have been absolutely tremendous in terms of supporting this project. We work together. They are building all kinds of capacity in their community to do the jobs, to build the facility, to operate the facility with us, etc. And they're going to get a really nice stream of income over the next 20 years that will help them build up their infrastructure and upgrade the needs in their community. And this is the way we have to go forward. We should be not be doing a major project in our country without equity. If we really truly believe in reconciliation and truly believe that partnership is where we need to go, that's the direction that we need to take. So that to me is really important and it all comes with the sustainability piece the 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 future of our world piece you know i love the indigenous people because they play the long game and if we non-indigenous people had played the longer game uh, we wouldn't be in a situation where we are today facing 900 today 900 uh fires uh, across our country um and uh and floods and, uh, and uh, you know, the impact of climate change is really, it's really kind of home to roost. We, I hope we're fast enough to be able to respond and build the infrastructure and, you know, adapt to this new world. Well said. And I would encourage our listeners to really take that lesson home. The structure of your $700 million deal involves equity ownership and a very promising future revenue stream for the Six Nations Indigenous folks who you've been working with from the beginning. And that was, an, I, I heard you comment on that, um, Annette, when we both attended the Atlantic Economic Forum. That's the key. It's not, it's not at the end of the project. Oh, by the way, no. you know, we're going to get oh, out. Oh, by the way, yeah. Oh, by the way, oh, that, no, no. That's, not, that's not the deal that has to be yeah. made. Yeah. We have to bring this into our core strategies and not be an ESG or a, uh, oh yeah, an afterthought. Can't be that way. It's got to start at the ground uh, level when you start. Agreed. Agreed. I love the walking the talk. Uh, Let me fire another question at you. Uh, You've had a fantastic, very inspirational career. Tell us about some of the most pivotal parts of your career and, and really trying to understand any of those moments in time that you can recognize. This changed how I stepped forward. This changed how I saw my career. This changed my opportunities. Any of those special moments for you? Oh, I had so many of them. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to know when to to hold them and when to play your cards, right? And you know, Kenny Rogers famous songs. And so I, I've been in six different businesses over my career, right? Mm-hmm. Started coal mining, 
did you know, sold go- companies for the federal government, CDIC. Then I was in investments and operating businesses at Amasco. Then I went into Michaels. Then I went into Home Depot, and then I went into Enerstore. And you know, you gotta know when you gotta go. And I've always known, you know, when you have to move on and make a change, and when you have to pivot in your business. And I think in this latest business, doing contracts, long-term contracts in electricity is really tough. It is a really tough business, I'll tell you. You know, I thought some of my other businesses were tough. No, this is way tougher. And so, you you know, you have to know when to hold on and you Mm -hmm. have to understand the timing. And so were there moments in my life? Yeah, you know, when I I was responsible for taking over uh, Home Depot or you know, they, they bought a company in China. What an experience that was, three years. Oh my God. And so I was still running Canada. And I grew I grew the Canadian operations from 600 million to 6 billion in sales. And was one of the most profitable operations in Home Depot because I built a great team. My success, everything to do with creating an environment that where people understand the purpose and direction of the organization, but building and surrounding myself with really uh, kind, good, smart, capable people and moving forward together. That's that's the strength that I have, right? And so I sort of did that with the Chinese people. And I sort of did it with all the different industry, uh, uh, industry sectors. And so you learn that at the end of the day, you have to develop Yes, a strategy. You have to develop your slide presentations and your plans and convince your investors and all that stuff. But you realize you can't do it alone. And there was a time where I was thinking that perhaps I could do more alone. But you realize that you're nothing. A leader is important, there's no question, but without surrounding yourself with capacity, nothing's going to work. Right resources, mm-hmm. right capacity in everything you do. Uh, you just can't win. So I, and I, I've had to face that. I've had to face situations where I really love the person that's working with me, but that person's not going to work. And it's so hard. Don't protect those people. Find a new home for those people, whether it's inside your organization or outside your organization. There's so unfair to the person that you're working with and so unfair to your company, to the family of people that you've, that, that, that you've built. That's the toughest part. The most wonderful yeah. part of business is people the toughest part of business is people. It really is. And so make sure that people are growing in the right direction in that boat or canoe or ship that you're running. And that to me is, you know, I've learned my lessons along the way. There are people that just don't work and don't fit and, but don't, don't, don't make that last too long because it's really important to your organization and the progress of it. I think that's very wise and and likely an evolutionary skill from country to country, from company to company, from industry to industry that you take with you. And I think for founders listening, really thinking about that renaissance team you're surrounding yourself with, that's important. And as Annette says, making sure that it is the right fit. And that can be the toughest part of, of your journey. So really appreciate that reflection. 
I'm going to ask the next question, Annette. Catherine Blewett, as you know, is the deputy minister of ICED and the president of ACOA. So some major hats. One of my favorite lines that she uses is that Atlantic Canada is not your grandparents' Atlantic Canada. And I'm going to share a little bit about why I'm so passionate about this and then ask you a question. So I grew up in rural New Brunswick and it's a town, it's called Bath, New Brunswick. It's a town, Annette, that still doesn't have any stoplights. It still doesn't have a Tim Hortons. So it's still very rural. Very small. Yeah, very, very small. And I grew up picking potatoes. And um, I believed, however, that I had to leave Atlantic Canada to have a career. That was my belief. I very selfishly don't want my children believing the same thing. So I left for 16 years. I'm back now. I've been back for nearly three years. And I'm very interested and passionate about the future of Atlantic Canada. Love Catherine Blewett's, Deputy Minister Blewett's perspective on this is not your grandparents' uh, no. Atlantic Canada. What do you, Annette, what do you think the future of Atlantic Canada could look like? And what do you think we need to do to unlock our full potential? Mm. Look, you know, Atlantic Canada is doing a lot to unlock its full potential. Entrepreneurs are one of the biggest leaders. And I've been watching this in the last 10, 15 years, what's happening in the Maritimes. And, you know, look, you're blessed with all these universities. You're blessed with amazing people that are not only smart and intelligent, but kind and compassionate. This is a community where people want to live. This is a community now where people want to bring up their kids. I had to leave too. I left, I come back a lot because I, you know, I have a, my Stanley, I have a log house there. My sister and three brothers all live there. So I'm, I'm back a lot, but there was no choice for me there. There's choice there now for my nieces and nephews, and they're finally staying, huh? And so, you know, the Cape Breton Island where I'm from was so reliant on the coal mining business and the steel business and the big industry that dropped some of the entrepreneurism of that community. But boy, is it coming back. You know, this morning I was talking to a couple of women that have come from from Vancouver Island, uh, and. They're in Cape Breton and they, they just, they're preaching themselves. They said, you know, this is the place, this is our destiny. This is where we want to live. And I think the immigrants, really critical, really critical of the future of our society. There hasn't been a lot of diversity in the Maritimes, uncomfortably so. And of course, I come from a city, Toronto, where I'm the minority, which I really am happy about. And because I really believe the future of one of the great successes of Canada is its diversity, but it needed more diversity in the Maritimes. And so I'm happy to be the chancellor of Cape Breton University. And you don't know whether you're in India or in, in Cape Breton sometimes when you see like the amazing diversity in that university, 53% of the population. And many of them want to stay. Many of them want to stay, and many of them want to be entrepreneurs, and many of them want to participate in, and build their homes and communities here. And so, and I'm the daughter of Dutch immigrants that came in '51. In the '50s, they they all came. Many of them came because there were there were farms that were vacant here, and so they filled filled that role. But we need immigrants. Uh, we need to grow this economy. We need to grow it socially. And we need to grow it economically. And what's really cool, I'm watching them both grow in a very 
progressive way in the Maritimes, in the Atlantic region, I should say, because we are blessed with, you know, we don't talk enough about our university infrastructure, but I'll tell you what advantage that is for all of us. New Brunswick has one, two, three. I mean, Nova Scotia is five or six, like in, in Newfoundland, um, you know, they're at PEI, they're strong universities that attract really a lot of great people. And and research is being done, and the research now is being more applied to commercialization. I'm hearing more and more of that. It hasn't been enough of that in terms of the the history of our country, but uh, more and more of that. Annette, those are really great comments. I love the observation of how you're seeing it grow socially and economically within Atlantic Canada. And I fully agree. I often talk about how the post-universities, the post-secondary institutions within Atlantic Canada, they are serving as the front door for new Canadians to come in. So there's a lot of hard work being done from that recruitment perspective. They are being attracted to our region because of the universities. And then any of those that are interested in research and my favorite entrepreneurship, we need to roll out that red carpet. And what we're seeing, and this transitions perfectly to the next question, Annette, we served about 100 companies last year in Propel, 50 and over 50 companies this past quarter. So we're seeing a really strong entrepreneurial appetite. One of my favorite stats is that 54% of the founders in Propel are new Canadians. Yeah. So what specific advice would you have for these founders who have chosen Atlantic Canada as their home, often coming through the university as their front door, and they've chosen entrepreneurship as they are collectively shaping our future? Yeah. Look, to these entrepreneurs, I say, grow the market. Grow the market. The market is growing in the eastern part of Canada, and you're growing it. You're, you are growing it. And don't think that the cities of Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, and Calgary, and Edmonton, and Winnipeg are, are better. You, I, I live in both, right? Mm-hmm. I see that there is more and more opportunity in this part of the world. And by God, you can live better. You can live a better life with your family. I'm seeing also in Cape Breton, a lot of people that moved away, Catherine, coming back here mm-hmm. because they have seen the other side. And so a lot of immigrants that, you know, that I speak to, oh, I can't wait to get the job in the big city, right? And so I'm a big believer in innovation can be done anywhere, okay? Innovation, mm-hmm. this new world, COVID has taught us a lot. I think COVID has taught us uh, an enormous amount of uh, you know, how uh, we can live remotely, how we can do things remotely in teams uh, and, and, and and not, you know, the traditional way of, of working is changing, right? And mm-hmm. so I think entrepreneurs particularly like that, right? So I say to the entrepreneurs that we're privileged that you've come to Canada, to Atlantic provinces, I say to you, build this great community with us. And mm-hmm. what I see is that the existing community is really lifting itself as a result of that too. And uh, together, I think the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada, over my almost a lot of my lifetime, it's been a negative economic story, right? A negative social story. It's been an exodus of people. It's changing very mm-hmm. quickly. And it's very exciting, driven by immigrants, driven by the entrepreneurs and driven by the natural resources of this place. We live mm-hmm. on the ocean. 
I think we really underestimate the opportunity that we have here. You know, I'm privileged to have found the Brochurin Center and Dr. Beth Mason, who's running it, she's taking fish guts and converting it into gold. She's taking, you know, a product and fermenting it and adding chemicals to it. These are all natural products, right? And making other products and attracting all kinds of entrepreneurs here. Many of them want to stay and live in Cape Breton. So it's just, to me, I've always seen that the life that you have here in the Maritimes is beautiful and in so much calmer. People are, I love how people are very direct in the Maritimes and in light to Canada, very direct, they're very kind. And someone someone said to me, the comparison, just this morning, this lady said, you know, the comparison, like Vancouver, like people are very nice. And if you stop, if you're, a fire tire goes flat and they'll combine they'll say you know sorry i hope you can find a resolution to this people in nova scotia they'll stop the car they'll tell you how, how stupid you were that you don't have the right uh the right <laughs> the right tool to, to put the car back up but they'll do it themselves they'll fit they'll help you fix them and right. uh, you know and they, it's it's really i think it's a truism like there's they're they're they they take me there at the meeting you don't see that you know in, in cheap right we probably have the, the lowest incomes in all of Canada, you know, uh, not all of Canada, but the low incomes. I've never seen people on the streets. People mm-hmm. are taken care of. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you don't see, you know, you see in Toronto today is really tough. All the big cities are having real challenges, but there's a kindness and a community piece that, that is much stronger there. Every founder's journey is unique. And if you need help taking the next step in yours, contact us at info at propelict.com to go further, faster. Definitely. And I think, I love what you said, build this great community with us. And that yeah. reflects, you know, your most, most recent comment. It is a community. There is a sense of compassion that you feel in the air here. I have a colleague who says, come to Atlantic Canada where there's more life and less hassle, which I love because that accessibility piece, access to nature, access to resources. And we can't forget that the entrepreneurs who are new to Canada are leveraging at the Versharon Center, leveraging the natural resources, innovating their way into our future. And I think we're going to see that reflected in the next every decade, we're going to be able to look at the unique changes that our entrepreneurs have brought to Atlantic Canada, probably that we could never have imagined being here if we look at our history. So it's it's really nice to see that we've opened the doors for all the COVID reasons, of course, but yep. excellent universities, kind and compassionate communities, wonderful place to live, and the opportunities are right here in front of us. My next question is about being a leader. Being a leader takes guts. Being a founder takes guts. Any challenges that you have faced over your career that you could share, maybe how you've overcome them, really thinking about the challenges that our founders often face when it's, oh my gosh, am I going to make payroll? Oh my gosh, I can't close this customer. And, you know, being a founder requires resilience, comfort with ambiguity. And you would have seen some of this most certainly in your career, Annette. Any thoughts for founders as they step into these leadership roles? Again, I go back to, you realize that you can't do this alone. And many times in my career, 
I've almost not made payroll, right? And mm-hmm. and what I do is I I really huddle with my team and I empower them and they help me make the decisions to get that revenue contract done or that new stream of revenues determined. When you engage people in the decision-making process, my team knows everything about my company, everything. And I'm the majority mm-hmm. shareholder. They are investors, okay? They own a minority position, but they know everything. They know my financial statements. I am perhaps, couldn't do that much that way in the corporate world, but I am a sharer of information because I believe I can't solve this stuff myself. Mm-hmm. And there have been many points in my career where I've made the wrong decision. And I, I'm okay to say I screwed up. Help me overcome this. Okay. And you know what? I deliver and see that that when we do great things, it's because of us. I take personal responsibility when there there are mistakes made. And I've always done that all of my life. And there's a real advantage to that. There really is an advantage to that because you are the founder. You are the, the, you know, the buck has to stop somewhere. And, but, but I don't go and cry about my problems. I consult and I ask my teammates, I ask my friends. I'm not afraid to say, look, I'm close to failing. Give me some advice on what I should do. And because we all think that we have to be heroes and we have to be, we are the founders and we are the ones that have, are taking the risk. So therefore we could, we just suck it up. No, you don't. I think the leaders that uh, are humble, leaders that leave their ego at the door, leaders that genuinely listen, and that doesn't mean just stop talking. That means genuinely taking the history that you have in your head and saying, not working anymore. Let's mm-hmm. try something new and yeah. taking risk with your teams. So mm-hmm. it's constant. I mean, I face that every day. I face face challenges every day. And uh, yeah. getting that big deal done with six and eight, you have no idea how many times we nearly failed here. And wow. it was anything that's a first time is very difficult. And sure. all our entrepreneurs know that. Anything that's first is very difficult. But don't give up. Because you know what? There's always another way. There always is another way. And you may not have the answer, but you go out and find it. That, to me, is yeah. really important piece of advice. And it really circles back to what you said earlier. People are the most important part of what you do really really surround yourself with those smart people so that empowers you to make engage your team i love i wrote this down specifically because i think it's very specific advice if founders can take this with them engage your team in the decision making process yeah that, absolutely and it goes back you said earlier purpose and vision and there's support and buy in within the teams that you've worked in within these six different companies right across the globe but- um but in really taking that skill with you and, and that, that serves you through all the challenges and never assuming you need to or can do it alone. Um, so founders, lean into that. This is a, advice from Annette Bashur and she knows what she's talking about on this front. I want to talk about women for a second. We need more women leading in Atlantic Canada. I selfishly want my daughter, who's nearly 10 to be able to see more leaders like yourself. How do we make 
that happen in Atlantic Canada, in your opinion? I think we need to focus, uh, you know, in developing women leadership. We have to focus in developing minority leadership, period, right? I think, you know, whether it's in the Indigenous uh, area, whether it's in people of different color, different heritage, etc. I think all extraordinarily important to make sure that that we have women in those positions. We have to measure it. And we have to take every opportunity. When I see a slate of people that are being considered for a job, if there's not a woman on that slate or a couple, I challenge my team and they go back and they try to figure it out. And so I think, and women are just as capable. We haven't had enough role models, you know, like I'm one of the more senior people in in the country and, and there should be a million people like me in Canada. There really should be. And, you know, I think your daughter who's 10, you can help her and she can help herself understand by looking at and understanding and getting greater comfort in like, there's no such thing as a boy job anymore. There's no such thing as a girl job anymore. I think, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, and, 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 and we got to stop that, right? There is still no. an undercurrent, right? I, I feel it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but that's going to change and it's changing fast. And I think it's changing in people uh, like you, um, people mm-hmm. that see the opportunity. And to me, it's just so basic. Mm-hmm. Why limit yeah. the future of this company by not getting the participation right, the, the participation of all our people? Why accept the fact that, you know, that that in leadership positions, there's only 20% women when we have access to 100% or access up to 50% uh, in terms of the number of women in the world. The same with, you know, we are leaving economic and social opportunity on the table by not growing those sectors. It is a shame. And, you know, when you take a look, I think in the Baltic and in, in, in some of these economies that are doing better, the participation of women stronger because their health care system and their child care system and they make it easier and and so i think we've got a way to go to really uh, reach our capacity in terms of uh, the potential of this country but it's got to be in full participation of minorities really critical really important I'll just share a thought with you. I love that perspective, Annette. There's in Atlantic Canada, we've seen organizations like Sandpiper who are focused on investing in women and women identifying founders. And I'm now a volunteer managing partner with the Women's Equity Lab. And we're focused on educating women who want to learn how to become angel investors in a very safe way. And that it's been a real eye-opener for me in the sense that we have great deal flow. There's a lot of women and women identifying founders looking for capital that is inherently harder for them to raise. All the stats are appalling around the struggles that they face. But I've been very inspired that by the fact that there are many, many women, professional women in Atlantic Canada who want to enter the economic space and the startup space and support entrepreneurs. And they've never been asked before to do this. We have a wait list for fun too. And it's, it's been the easiest sell of my life. I'll tell someone what we're doing and they ask, where do I sign up before I'm finished the sentence? Because there's such an interest. Um, so I'm encouraged by the excitement around initiatives 
in bringing more women to the table, shifting where capital is pulled from, shifting how capital is deployed, having women in those decision-making positions. And I also love, I know you have seen this in your career as well, men play such an important part in women succeeding. And you know this in your day-to-day, I see this. When you have a champion man on your team, in your corner, Taking, making the, the, the bold moves. I heard, at, I was in Montreal at Startup Fest last week and someone used the, the term and it's not a kind one, but I'll just be honest. They said, yeah, it's not really seen as a good thing when, if you are asked to be on, they call it instead of a panel, a mantle. If it's just men speaking on a panel, you should probably say, no, I'm not interested because there's no diversity. Um, so folks are stepping up. It's an effort we have to achieve together and leveraging leveraging the assets we have in our region. And you said it earlier, why would you limit the future of your company with like, why would you not take advantage of the diversity that's that's here? You know, and I chair SDTC and I chair the Mars Discovery District. Those are two mm-hmm. organizations that are really important. And we started the seed capital program, smaller investments, over 30% are women in this program. And so it's growing, but we measure it and we talk about it and we yeah. try to target, right? Same thing in at Mars, uh, you have to target this, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. we'll never achieve the results. And and so I think, and you know, and I'm a, I'm an investor in Sandpiper, you know, when Kathy mm-hmm. and the team approached me, I said, yeah, of course I want to do this. And, yeah. and, you know, to me, they're doing great things. They really are. And the investments that they're making are top notch. And, uh, you know, they're going for another round and really want to encourage them. They really know what they're doing. And so, yeah. So I think, look, in my life, in my career, the best places, the most productive places have been men and women working together. And not there are liabilities when you just have one group of people working together. Men think differently than women. Gay people think differently than uh, indigenous people. And if you don't surround your table with people that is your market or become your market, you're never going to understand, you know, the filter system. And you're never going to understand the nuances. You're never going to understand, you know, how uh, you you break into new ground and you grow your business. So to me, real source of challenge, I think sometimes when I see a group of people, they're all the same, gets me a little nervous. Uh, in the environment, quite frankly, in the environment. Very much so. Very, very much so. Um, I've got one final question for you. I'm sad it's the last question. I've enjoyed this very much, Annette. I know that you have wonderful nieces and nephews in your life. If one of them were to say to you, Auntie Annette, I'm going to start a company. (laughs) What advice would you give them? The advice I would give them is go towards the future understand where the world is going and try to go with the flow. There are traditional industries or industries that are going to be limited, right? They really are. And so go where there's opportunity and growth. Go where there is purpose. Yes, you have to get return on investment. And yes, capitalism's uh, really critical, but I think the future of capitalism is recognizing that there is a broader stakeholder than just shareholders that need to be addressed. And those companies that do that 
will be the most successful ones. Maybe in the short term, you can get away with not taking that responsibility as importantly as you should, but in the longer term, you won't. And so my advice is fail quickly and do this because it'll be the greatest experience of your life. If it was someone, one of my nieces and nephews that just out of school, I would say, try to get another job first and then become an entrepreneur, right? Because you need you need the skill set of a broader understanding of, of business perspectives, and but do it. And it's the most frustrating, but the most rewarding thing you'll ever do in your life. And it's what drives me. I mean, I, you know, I've always been, I've been very lucky. I've always been sort of my own boss, right? I've always been, you know, I did have people that I'd have to report to in the U.S. during my career with Michaels and with Home Depot. But I was pretty independent, you know. I, I knew how to get results, and that sort of keeps everybody away. And so I've always been, I've always solved my own problems with my teams. And that, to me, is freedom. That, to me, is, if I were to drop dead tomorrow, look, no one's got to be sorry about my life. I will have lived uh, more than most people have. I've done more things. I've had more fun. And I am the happiest, one of the happiest people I know. And I'm one of the most positive people I know. And I didn't change during those moments of, I have a moment, I sleep on it. Next day, I'm at it again. And that's what entrepreneurs are, right? And so... Don't give up. Find another way to get up the mountain. And once you have the taste of being an entrepreneur, it's hard to go back to traditional jobs. And I think they are our future. Uh, you know, the digitization and productivity that we've got to create in our new world is enormous. It's coming from innovation in every facet of life, whether it's social, whether it's economic, every facet of life. And so we're needed and we need more entrepreneurs. So think about it, everybody. But be prepared. Understand what you're getting into. Understand your capacity. Understand if you have money, how much money you can put into this. Really get, put a great plan together and start. And then fix it along the way because you're going to be fixing it. And a finished plan, there's no such thing. I've never seen one. You never have a finished plan. Uh, you start. Uh, you start when you have a concept and and push it forward. Um, and that and that. But I think that makes for for more effective uh, leaders. Quite frankly, when uh, when they pivot and respond and uh, deal with the challenges and and opportunities and really go after them quickly. Oh. Phenomenal, um, Annette. I think you exude authenticity. I think it's very clear. And I hope I really do encourage others to spend time on Annette's website and listen to her podcast. You get, you'll get a sense, more of a sense for who she really is. But you have straight stayed absolutely true to who you are with that positivity. Um, and that, you know, find another way to climb the mountain. I think that that's that's key. But finding another way to climb that mountain, I think, is a really, really clear message. And there's a self-awareness um, and a and an, just an, a, a really exceptional ability to connect with those around you and understand your capacity and inspire theirs um, that, that you bring to life every day. And I hope founders have heard and listened to and are going to try to emulate in their founder journeys. 
Um, and I can't thank you enough, Annette, for spending the time with us today. You inspire so, so many, and I'm glad we could bring your voice to Founders in Atlantic Canada. And I hope the future is full of more inspirational leaders, be it Indigenous leaders, women, women-identifying leaders, new Canadians, and beyond, uh, because I think our future is full of opportunity, and you certainly, you certainly have led the way and continue to lead the way in your efforts. So thank you so much. Thrilled to share some of my experiences, and and uh, I wish everybody uh, so much opportunity. I wish I was twenty five again, and but uh, but I'm seeing people live and take control and ownership of their future. And uh, Atlantic Canada in the next many many decades will be one of the most successful places in our country. Agreed. I can't. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Thanks, Annette, and take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Founder Journeys by Propel ICT. Propel ICT is Atlantic Canada's e-accelerator for tech startups. Are you a founder looking to build on sales and marketing skills, reach and engage with the right customers, and ultimately find success? Our coaches are eager and excited to help you and your business go further, faster. To learn more about us and our team, visit PropelICT.com. Propel ICT, where founders become leaders.